Ernest, what's up? Look, in the world of personal finance management, finding the right tool is crucial. If you've been relying on Mint to keep your personal finances in check, I got a mix of news for you. Mint is closing down. But here's a silver lining. Monarch Money is stepping up as the go-to financial app and users, including myself, are making the switch with a smile. Before Monarch, juggling my finances felt like navigating a stormy sea. Other apps either lacked features or were too cumbersome. Then came Monarch Money. Its ease of use, powerful features, and sleek design turned financial management from a chore into a breeze. The constant updates, well, that's the cherry on top. But what truly set it apart for me was its collaboration feature. Money matters constrain relationships, but Monarch brings peace to the table. The app's collaboration tools allowed my partner and I to seamlessly manage our finances together. We aligned on our budgets, tracked our cash flow, and even planned our future goals all in one place. Speaking of goals, be it saving for a down payment, your dream vacation, or your children's education, Monarch simplifies it all. It's no wonder the Wall Street Journal hailed it as the best budgeting app. This isn't just an app. It's the next generation of personal finance management, ad-free, intuitive, and always evolving with you in mind. Now look, Monarch isn't just another app. It's the all-in-one solution. From effortlessly importing your data from Mint to customizing your dashboard to your heart's content, Monarch respects your privacy with a strict no-ads, no-data-selling policy. This is financial management as it should be, focused on you. Look, after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Mondays. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Mondays for your extended 30-day free trial. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. We are live. Happy Monday. What's the deal? Yes. Let's get into this. So glorious Monday. It is the 19th of February. Stop market is closed. Market Mondays is open again. This is this become a habitual thing. You can count on this on a Monday. That's a fact. Uh, we are blessed and honored to be here before you. Uh, got a lot of information, man. A lot of this stuff has happened over the past week, and it's a it's another big week. It's the Super Bowl of earnings coming up this week, so we definitely got to get into that. That's a fact. Ian, what's going on? Hey, we, we got to switch mics. We got a little technical difficulties, but creators, you got to create through it. That's a fact. So this is gonna be like Blackout Market Mondays edition, right? Sh- shout out to everybody supporting the show. Yeah, Love man. But we got a lot to get into. Should we start there? Should we start there? A congratulatory debut episode for Blackout. Cause a lot of frenzy on, on social media, cause a lot of frenzy in the barbershops. Relationships are having conversations that they didn't have prior. So first and foremost, congratulations on Blackout. Congratulations to everybody and salute to everybody that tapped in and shared. How many, what, over 500,000 views per clip at this point? It's looking, looking impressive. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to everybody that um, 
tapped into Blackout. That was uh, you know, our first episode. So, you know, we're gonna keep it spicy for the remaining episodes for sure. But definitely, you know, make sure you tap in on Wednesday. Uh, every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, playback on all podcast outlets and um, YouTube. And uh, reason why Ian is here right now, we got a big day tomorrow. We're going to um, Good Morning America. We'll be in the morning, the morning hour. Yeah. Um, Michael Strahan, shout out to the good folks at Good Morning America. So um, hopefully you guys submitted some questions that you want us to talk about. And um, we're going to have a lot of fun. So make sure you check that out tomorrow. I'm not sure exactly what time, but just... Watch Good Morning America at like let's say seven o'clock in the morning, and then um tap in from there. So we got a lot. We got a lot to talk about. Um, let's let's get into it. Uh, and I, I have a feeling that we just went live. Actually, I don't know if we were live before. Um, but uh, in any event, it seems like we're we're on. We're on. Happy Monday. The deal. So yes, so we, we are live. In effect, this is a holiday, but Market Mondays is still open. <laughs> Sorry for the um, the delay, but we had some some difficulties, some technical difficulties. We got three people in the studio today. Usually, it's just two, so we have to kind of you know scramble around a little bit. But we're here. Yes, we're here, and um, the show must go on. So, reason why Ian is in the building with us is tomorrow's a big day. We have um, Good Morning America. On the wake up, seven o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. Make sure you, you tap in. Uh, shout out to the good folks at Good Morning America. They're gonna be yes. talking to us. We got uh, Michael Strahan. Yeah, I believe he's gonna be asking us questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know it's, it's it's a good time, glorious situation. We got a dope episode of Earn Your Leisure coming out tomorrow. So it's a good week. It's a good good flow for us. And then of course we got Blackout on Wednesday, yeah. the most talked about show on the Let's internet about, right can now. We, can man. we can we just stop and pause for just two seconds? And just say uh, congratulations on a successful premiere episode. Shout out to everybody that tapped into it and shout out to everybody that shared it. It is uh, close, quite a frenzy on, on social media. I wasn't trying to, but <laughs> I think it was done. Shout out to my babies. They, I heard there's a there's a new investing strategy out there. Um, that Don't people... get that money, look. <laughs> look, two simps, two semis. <laughs> Tap in. Run them, put it in chat. Run them pockets. The two simps, two semi play, man. First, just congratulations to y'all for for having the courage to do it. Uh, Again, shout out to everybody that tuned in. This Wednesday, we'll be back at it again. Episode two. Uh, I saw some of of the show topics, man. This is going to be another one of those episodes. So I'm excited for y'all. And excited for everybody to hear it. Because these are conversations that most people won't have, but they need to be had. So I wanted to just congratulate y'all in advance, man. Well, congratulate everybody. And congrats like, to you for team. not being on camera for these dumbass comments. <laughs> You're a smart man. We got to listen. Shout out to everyone who listens. Tune in to Blackout every week. Um, it's going to be fun. Tune in to GMA tomorrow. Shout out to my Red Panda family. I love y'all. If I made you money, please put yes in chat. Let's go. Invest in yourself. <laughs> wise words. Wise words. Yeah. And I didn't do this last week. So I, my pops, well, as soon as we finished the show, my dad was like, you know you didn't do a disclaimer, right? I'm like, mm. out of everything we just talked about, that's the first thing you remembered? So I, I got to do a disclaimer. So before we do anything uh, and have any more announcements, the disclaimer, our content is int- intended to be used. It must be used for informational purposes only. It's very important that you do your own analysis before making any investment based on your own personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from professional from a professional in connection with or independently research and verify any information that you find on our show and wish to rely upon, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise. Please, please continue to do the research, share the research when it's good, get feedback 
and give credit to the person you found it from. That's how we spread community. That's how you end up on Good Morning America. True. This is this is like one of those ways. Absolutely. <laughs> give results. Give results. That's a fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So shout out to that. And shout out to the whole city of Indianapolis and the NBA PA Absolutely. and the M, uh, NBA G League and the NBA uh, for hosting us this week. This weekend, it was an incredible weekend. Little, little chilly, little chilly. Uh, but uh, it was an eventful weekend. We ran into some some really good folks over, throughout the weekend, had some really good connections. And of course, I mean, if you watched live yesterday, you know, Team EYL, uh, Team EYL represented. So shout out to everybody. Uh, our MVP, Trev uh, Queen, uh, Londa Williams. And of course, man, Ashton Higgins was ridiculous yesterday. So shout out to him, man. Everybody, the whole team, man. We, we appreciate it. The whole G League family, um, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who, who's the president uh, right now, we greatly greatly uh, appreciate the the hospitality and look forward to defending our crown um that, that that was that was a lot of fun so can you read the disclaimer you read it already are you serious let's get this on <laughs> <laughs> these guys y'all prince and minx next tuesday there will be no exceptions made if you don't if you don't meet dress code this is a warning to all my close friends and family don't call me if you're outside and you can't get in, can you also tell them who else not to call? Please, <laughs> I don't call. Don't anybody. call any of us, please. Like no, no exceptions will be made. Nah, don't call me. No exceptions will be made. Don't link me. All right, let's get into this. So we have a guest, so I want to um talk about some topics before we bring our guest on. But um, first, let's talk about. I want to get you guys' thoughts on um the launch of an incredible uh video video game generator by Open AI, Sora. Um, so open AI, I guess, is going in the in the video game creator economy space. Uh, artificial intelligence, obviously, you know, when you talk about artificial intelligence, you have to talk about video games. So um what do you guys think about this and um how will it impact the future of open AI in the, in the AI space? Yeah, I'm not sure of video game per se, but more video generator. Whereas before uh, we kind of spoke about this when we were talking about ChatGPT, where people were using it just for automated response and text. When you wanted to do something that was visual, you had to have a plugin. And so I think Wally was the actual plugin before, and it was cool. Uh, but just like anything, right? If I can be a one-stop shop, I'm going to be that. And so while they were using the plugin, I'm sure Wally was great for them. Why not just have it ourselves? And so the product, again, man, it, it, it's interesting. Like last week, we were talking about technology with the Vision Pro and shout out to everybody that, that sent me those kind messages and I have figured out Sorry. how to power it on and off. Thank you. Um, I, I tested this product as well. I mean, the we kind of briefly hinted at it. Like this feels like Pixar level quality. Um, and all it needs is a prompt. It just needs a few prompts and it can create an imagery or a vision for you that is just spot on and uh, from an artistic standpoint i mean it it's it sees it's a lot of trouble for people who are in the graphic world i feel like i think that industry is definitely about to get disruptive if i could just have a thought give a prompt and have that come out with a vision of it but the most interesting part is that if i don't like the image i can go back and so i can get more of a you know, I could really fine tune it to my liking. Whereas if I had to give that to a graphic designer, it might take me a day. It might take me a week. Well, some graphic designs may take me two weeks. I can get this done in less than five minutes. It's really a disruptive thing. And the quality is incredible. I think, I think it's brilliant. Um, I look at this app or creation as like Pixar in your pocket. You can do one minute clips, which is absolutely amazing. And 
I put it in chat earlier, like, is NVIDIA truly worth more than Google at this time? But I think NVIDIA in the last three or four years has innovated at a faster pace than Google has maybe in the last five or six years. Like, kudos to everyone at Google. I don't want any issues. I won't go on a rant like I did with Meta. Shout out to before it. But I think that this uh, application is going to open up a lot of, uh, like, the quality was, like, almost... 4k rendering mm -hmm. up to 6k um you can't make movies out of it yet but i think in maybe two or three years like you may be able to make a full production or like a full anime out of this i've seen some people even like make characters out of star wars and then submit them to what could be like in a new form mm -hmm. of star wars so mm -hmm. i think it's a great addition to what open ai is doing um and i don't see anybody taking that lead for another four or five years like everyone is racing for second place yeah. when it comes to open ai yeah you could just imagine if somebody was to put a script inside as the prompt and it could, could generate an actual scene right and you do that for a day or so and you have an actual movie yeah. um just from your thoughts and not having to hire anyone but have a phone yeah. which is a game changer um it, it it's i mean the technology's here man we we've always been a platform that said let's celebrate it let's run from it not let's not run from it let's figure out how we can take advantage of it and use it it's here, so we got to figure out how to, to take advantage of it and use it to, to our benefits because it's not going anywhere. You did ask a question though, like how much more can NVIDIA run up and then when will a pullback happen? Do you think they can continue to be at this pace and hit 1,200, 1,500 or do you think a pullback will happen in the next couple of months? Yeah, I'm interested to see. Um, we've been talking about their earnings report for the past three weeks. It's coming up on the 21st. Um, and we saw a bunch of people raise their price targets, right? We talked about Loop Capital Loop Capital raising it to twelve hundred, and we're looking at a stock that's over seven hundred and fifty dollars, and we're like, wait, it's already up a hundred. It went up three hundred percent over the past twelve months. How much higher can it go? At some point, it needs to cool down, which is good for the stock, right? That yeah. that means that you know what, we're going to take a pause. We're going to look at the numbers. We're going to look at our future guidance and reevaluate. I just feel like I don't know if that day is this week though. I mean, that's I the interesting so. part, right? Where people are looking at, is this the time to get into NVIDIA? Um, when we talk about what Meta has already announced as far as them purchasing, when we talk about them having the H1 and now the H2 and all the, you know, the profits that's going to be generated from that. I don't know if that's, if this is the time. Um, and so, I so. so, I mean, 1200 is so lofty that that's, I mean, think about where is we're at. Really from where we're at today, right? To watch a stock go up 343% in a year and to say, hey, there's still much more room to grow. Um, at that rate, they'll probably, I think they will be the second wealthiest co company by market cap. If they hit the 1200, I, I would assume they would, they would probably challenge for number one within the next six months. Um, and so I, we've never seen a run like this that I can recall where a company maybe two, three years ago wasn't even, I think maybe in the top 15 to now be number one in the less than 18 months. I don't know when the run stops or when it pauses or do we have a quick correction. I don't know when it's happening. Um, I just you can just see this forward trajectory for it um, because all the growth signs are there. I'm just worried. The only part I worry about is if they offer future guidance and it's not something that's extremely overwhelming and they pull back. Right. Because NVIDIA and we talked about the Magnificent Seven carrying the market for the past year or so. If it does have a slight pullback, maybe a 1% or 2% correction, what does that do for the overall market when you're talking about the hottest company in, in the world right now? If they have a slight correction, what happens to the S&P? What happens to the market as an overall? Um, so it'll be interesting to see. So, so Wednesday, I feel like 
we've had the all-star game we've had the super bowl like this is one of those moments yeah. where we're going to be a, a great indication of what's to happen in the market uh for the definitely for the rest of this quarter but going into the second half of the year i think nvidia be fine <laughs> that'd be fine um so yeah let's talk about nvidia then so we talked about them having a market cap what they pass google they passed amazon one day and then two days later they passed google so we um we talked about it. Hit the like button and share, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know, when XRP a few years ago was going crazy, and I remember um, the CEO of Ripple had a net worth. He was like the seventh richest person in the world. And they, you know, there's an old saying that when things um, start to not make sense anymore, then that's when they start to fall apart. And then shortly after that, then the company, the, the coin has never reached that, that high ever since. So NVIDIA, yeah, it's a, it's a great company. But I mean, when a chip company that the vast majority of people never even heard about 18 months ago becomes, has a lar- a market cap larger than Amazon and Google. Um, all right. At a certain point in time, it starts to not make sense, right? So NVIDIA, that doesn't make sense. It's not. It's not. It's not a. It's not a more powerful. Are you predicting group. the death of Nvidia? No, no, no. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. Let's the, clip it up. No, no, we not do that. It's not the death of Nvidia, but it just doesn't. It doesn't make sense, right? Nvidia is not the same as Google. It's not the same as Amazon. So, is it overpriced? And will a will a correction come? So that so. that that's the interesting part, right? Is it as important? Well, if you take those companies, please you, say it. If you take those companies and you look what their forward initiative is, it's all in artificial intelligence, right? Like that is the thing. Google's trying to figure it out. They just said that we're doing away with Bard. Gemini's the new thing. We already know what Microsoft has done with OpenAI. Apple is starting to tease something in uh, their, their June call. They're going to announce whatever their AI initiative is. You have the top seven that are pretty much relying on this company to deliver its chips so that it can produce that high level efficiency and that high level of innovation. And so they kind of need them, right? You kind of got to knock on their door yeah. if you want to move forward. So if you're one of those companies, it, it don't even matter if you're better or not, they need you um, until there's a competitor that, that that comes through and says, all right, we have something that can perform at a similar, if not more efficient way. And the price point makes more sense. It's kind of like this Vision Pro versus, versus the Oculus, right? Like. There's a vast difference. It's a, night and day difference. It's a, a vast difference in pricing, right? But there's also going to be a vast difference in the overall function and quality of it and the expansion of it. And so I don't know if it has to be better. I just think as long as they rely on them, they're going to be needed. And for the next two, three, four, five years, it's very clear that they're the company that's going to lead it. And they're going to be the company that these companies call on, whether it be from Apple to Amazon to Google to Microsoft. Open eyes inside that we're going to come and sit meta as well they already yeah. told you that how many billions that they're spending that's just what they're putting on right who knows how much more they're going to spend as long as they're needed i can see them passing them uh and it, it wouldn't surprise me it would not surprise me if they were to lead in the next 18 months it, as far as market Nvidia is more important than amazon i love amazon dearly profit margins are thinner though let's look at some of the numbers um 44 billion revenue for nvidia um, revenue is up 205% quarter over quarter. Operating margin is 45%. Profit margin is 16%. All of the major companies on earth are relying on them. And the sector that matters the most to, to the United States of America, they have by the webos. What are we talking about? Like, I wish Google would have innovated a lot. Fa- Shout out to everyone at Google Corporate because yeah, yeah. I need y'all, right? Yeah. 
listen, I wish they would have innovated faster. I think um, Andy has done a great job at Amazon. But if we look at where you're skating to where the puck will be, going back to that Gretzky quote, mm -hmm. everyone in tech for the last three or four years when you had the ZERP initiative, people weren't applying as much pressure in terms of innovation as they should. And then NVIDIA came and took their lunch. Three and a half years ago, AMD was at 11. Shout out to everyone in Red Panda who got in at that time. It's up 15X now. You put $1,000 in NVIDIA four years ago, you could have 100 grand now. Listen, the ones that move the market are going to reign supreme, and you usually have one player that is dominant per sector, invest in those, and if you would have did that, you would have made a lot of money. Um, the EBITDA margin is 49.39%. Um, the current ratio is 3.5. This is a blockbuster company. This is like our like the our kids' generation yeah. version of Microsoft or Apple. But at some point, it has to pull back, right? Like, yeah, it, it, it's going to pull back. It's going to pull back. So uh, it, it's not a, a situation Maybe where ten to fifteen percent, but that'd be a good buying point. Ten to fifteen percent, yeah. that would be a heavy drop, right? But that doesn't mean that we don't believe in the company long term. A correction sometimes is needed, right? We we always talk about having a reset. When, when companies have to go through this, when we start seeing it, we start seeing layoffs. Yeah. We start seeing, we'll talk about it a little bit later, we start seeing execs and CEOs selling shares, right? We start to see those signs that usually means there's a pullback coming. That's not happening with NVIDIA. We've I, seen it happen with Amazon. Yeah. We've seen it happen with Meta. It hasn't happened with NVIDIA yet. There's a couple of things that could happen. We start to see when, when, when companies are taking in large sums of money, do they start to offer a dividend? Do they have a split? A split will be good. We're, we're get starting to get into we're, we're starting to get into that range where yeah. if it becomes a thousand dollar stock, we saw that happen with Amazon, right? They never split. They got up to thirty four hundred. This becomes something that's not as attainable to jump. Now we split one to five. Nvidia is, is treading in that direction. Will they split? We'll see. The difference between all of those businesses and entities that we named, yeah. like how many boxes of wet wipes do you need to order for yourself? <laughs> you don't need man wipes like three times a month, like they. They are actually probably one of the most important parts to the digital infrastructure of yes. the country and the world. Yeah. So while Google is really important, I think they stretch themselves too thin with other products. NVIDIA is really focused in on a couple of sectors and a couple of clients that matter the most to them. And that's why I think they're, they're doing so well. Yeah, they're all important. Like I said, look, when we talk about Amazon, yes, from an e-commerce po point of, of view, but also from an AWS cloud point of view. They're still a leader, right? We talked about them going into healthcare. That adds another stem to, to the umbrella. We talked about them going to automotives, which could be extremely disruptive for anybody in that space. Carvana, like all these companies that were relying on, we have a certain, if Amazon, the Amazon deadlift shrimp and NVIDIA Carmelo or what? what let's get to No, nah, I don't do it. Don't, that lift, you know, that lift, first of all, that lift was a great George player. Carl, you're a wild boy. <laughs> He's wild for that. You nah, are you're a wild. wild piece of work. He's wild for that. Shout out to Melo. Uh, Deadlift, we're not, they're not, it's not compared. We're not gonna use deadlift. We gotta get somebody better than deadlift. Don't do that. Jokic. Yep. Okay. I, I I mean, that's a good argument. So if we take those two companies, right? Mellow would be, but here's the reality. And we had this argument before. This was a sports argument. When you when it comes down to the history of Denver, there's only gonna be one number 15 that gets retired. Jokic. So yeah. You, I mean, in that sense, maybe you're the right. The video is almost too big to fail at this point. It's feeling that way. Yeah. But I think that goes to Shadi's apprehension of if it's too big to fail. I want too big to call it uh, too big to fail when I told y'all to get it in, in, in the 22, top of 23. You know, it's all about timing. Like something goes up four or five X, you can't 
wait to make your primary position in there. Yeah. Wait for a pullback and you'll be good. So we'll see. Wednesday we'll see. Uh, and we won't even have to have the argument. We'll see very clearly. They, they report after market on Wednesday. Um, and so I'll be interested. I'll be sitting, waiting to see what comes back. Uh, I'll be looking forward to the future guidance because we already heard from Meta or the amount of money they're spending. I'll be interested to see some of their other partners and what they'll be spending. I'm, t- I'm sure it's in the billions and hundreds of billions of dollars. So yeah. more revenue. I think there's an estimate where they're, I think the the EPS, uh, the difference in EPS of what's expected to what the actual might be, might be a difference of nine to ten dollars, which would be that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. If you beat it by three cents, great. Beating it by nine to ten dollars is out of this world, and they've done it already. So we'll see. All right, so let's take a a quick break from our regularly scheduled program, and we have a guest. Yes, we do. We're gonna bring a guest on early. Um, we can. <laughs> bring her on and then i'll introduce hi hey how's it going hi how are you i'm good i'm good how are you good so so we have the principal deputy assistant attorney general department of justice antitrust unit that's a lot um (laughs) doha i want to make sure i say your last name correctly mecca mecky mecky doha doha mecky is that is that your full title did i say the title correctly yeah, it's a lot of words, but you got them all. Yes, Department of Justice. Any any time that we get somebody from the Department of Justice on, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure, we have to make sure that we're we're, we're in compliance. Um, so first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. This is yeah. really a treat for me. Oh no, for sure. So okay, so we want to talk about antitrust law. So this is the thing with Market Mondays. We try to give our audience and even ourselves some exposure to things that they might not necessarily be too familiar with or that they don't have exposure to on a, on a, on a regular basis. So I doubt that very few people um, in this country or in the world has ever heard a government antitrust attorney representative speak. Um, so first it, of its kind. I'm sure that this will be an enlightening conversation. So um, first and foremost, can you explain the basic principles of antitrust laws and um, why they are important to protecting our economic freedoms. For sure. So antitrust and its related cousin, uh, the anti-monopoly framework, are really about the rules that companies have to abide by um, when they compete. So competition is good. It is the law of the land in this country. And we like competition because it basically means that companies have to compete to provide the best service. It keeps prices down. And what antitrust does is it prescribes some really simple, flexible rules so that you don't have monopolies, right? Which is when one company controls, uh, you know, the provision of a product or a service in the market. And when you don't have the undue accumulation of power, right? Corporate power in a market. And there are different ways that you can accumulate that power. Um, Sometimes it's by uh, mergers, right? And so uh, antitrust is applied to mergers uh, that are notified in the United States, typically only the biggest mergers. And the reason it's really important to understand antitrust for your audience, for every American to understand antitrust is because it is so fundamental to our full participation in our democracy. Um, And if I can say just a few words about what I mean by about that, I think that Black Americans have 
shed blood to give meaning to this fundamental proposition that all people are created equal. Um, our uh, forefathers have um, fought for social rights, for political rights, um, for example, the, the right to vote. But as I've thought about this work more and really gotten in the books and, and read a lot of the thought beforehand, um, what I realized is that so many civil rights leaders understood that social and political rights standing alone would not be sufficient to protect our full participation and our full citizenship uh, in this country. That you really need economic liberty as that third plank to protect all of your other liberties. And there's really incredible scholarship and writing from W.E.B. Du Bois, MLK, Bayard Rustin, and others who really um, understood this. And so that's why I'm so pleased to be able to talk to uh, all of you and, and your audience about why I think antitrust is good for the entire country, um, but in particular, Black Americans. Um, given the digital economy that we're in now, like how important do you think it is uh, to have these antitrust laws? And do you think some companies in the tech space are actually too big to fail? It's a great question. So I think that, uh, let me take a step back about digital platforms um, and the big tech companies. So there, you should know that the antitrust laws apply to the entire economy, healthcare, agriculture, financial services, labor markets, um, and everything in between, professional sports um, and education and so forth. But, you know, in the last 20 years or so, recall that, uh, you know, there was a two-tiered uh, recovery from the financial crisis. Um, some people lost a lot and never quite made up ground. Um, some people uh, lost a little bit and maybe are doing a little bit better. And there's a sense in this country for a lot of people that economic opportunity is not what it used to be. And the tech platforms are interesting because that sentiment that I just described actually is true regardless of who you are, your demographic or your political leanings, right? So people on the left and the right are concerned about economic opportunity in this country. And for a lot of folks who are self-styled conservatives, they're thinking about the tech platforms and the power that they have to censor people, the power that they have to deplatform people, um, the power to control what ideas even make it to the public. And, um, you know, in the case of uh, Google, for example, which I can talk about because we filed monopolization cases against Google, um, one of which went to trial last year and uh, where we look forward to closing arguments in the spring and another one that's going to trial this year. And so I think that some companies are both big and do things that are against the law. And in the case of Google search, that is a case about a company that has, we'll say 90 plus percent share of all the internet searches uh, that are conducted every single day in this country. And they entered into agreements with browser uh, companies, with device manufacturers, including your phone device manufacturers, um, with wireless carriers and the like, to make sure that they were the default search engine. And what's interesting about those digital platforms is that, like Google Search, is that the more people use Google Search, the better the product becomes. 
And it also deprives competitors of the opportunity to uh, provide you a product. And so digital market, this is you know, a, a concept that people call network effects and such. But again, let's zoom out and talk about why that should matter to uh, all people. Um, you know, when you go and conduct a search, you might be looking up healthcare information. You might be thinking of um, reproductive information. You might be thinking about um, really intimate personal decisions about how you are going to live your life and how you're going to exercise um, your rights as, as a consumer. And so having competition among search engines to give you the very best search results is very important. And we've seen um, interesting reporting about how, um, you know, concerns about how uh, search results are delivered um, can actually bury information that people need or worse, serve up very harmful information. Um, and again, that affects the experience of citizenship in this country. And it's a way that all of us feel the effects and ramifications of corporate power in like very basic ways in our everyday life. Yeah, it's interesting. When we hear anti-trust laws, we usually, again, we hear tech, we hear Google, we hear Meta, we hear Apple. Those companies always come in, into, into the, the forefront. From a standpoint of the average day citizen, it's tough for us to understand it or have a care base about it because we're just so unaware. So it feels like Big Brother is being watched by another Big Brother. And then whatever the result is, we'll figure out how do we get more people involved in understanding just the ramifications of some of the things you're talking about on an everyday basis. So I will say that uh, under uh, the Biden-Harris administration and um, this leadership set at the Justice Department to include um, Attorney General Merrick Garland, uh, the Assistant Attorney General in charge of the Antitrust Division, a guy named Jonathan Cantor, um, and other very important uh, figures, including Lena Khan, the chair of the FTC, and others, um, there has been a whole of government approach to thinking about antitrust and competition issues. So way back in July 2021, the president signed an executive order where he said that it would be the policy of his administration to take into account competition and the benefits of um, competition policy and antitrust in every single agency. So every, again, the, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Transportation, um, the Federal Communications Commission, and more are all a part of this effort to uh, make sure that they are taking into account competition principles in their everyday work. For all of us at the Antitrust Division, um, where I have the distinct privilege of serving as the second highest ranking official and working with a staff of more than 800 people who are dedicated to faithfully serving uh, the public and, and bringing the benefits of competition to everyday people, um, we're thinking about just how we talk to the public, right? Antitrust for a long time was really technocratic. Um, it was steeped in kind of murky economics. And um, that's really a shame because as I've gone back and engaged with the history, it's, it's clearer to me than ever that antitrust is for all of us. And so, for example, we are trying to make sure that we're using um, plain language uh, in our complaints, in our guidance documents. Um, or making sure that we're not privileging a small few uh, who already kind of know what's going on at the antitrust division and, and down at uh, the Federal Trade Commission, which is our sister agency, and that we're setting up access for everyday people to get the information that they need. And so we go out 
and talk to as many people as we possibly can. Um, I'll give you just one example. Uh, we spoke to a group of farmers uh, that were coming to Washington for the day um, just to talk about how we think about competition in agriculture. And we're going out to colleges and universities. We're going out to um, conferences. We're talking to content creators. We're, we're just talking to as many people as we possibly can because we feel so deeply that antitrust is for the people and we as public servants are obligated to protect every citizen in this country, uh, regardless of whether um, you have power or whether you don't. So um, can we get, cause I know there's a lot of people in the chat that may not be familiar with who you are. Can we get um, your backstory of how you even got into the position that you're in? Because, you know, I'm assuming you, you didn't grow up wanting to work in the antitrust department for the, the Department of Justice. Maybe you did. But um, what was your journey like to get to where you are? And, and what are some of the, you know, the obstacles or hurdles that you may have faced or are still facing as a um, as a black woman um, in, in your position? Sure. So I uh, went to college and law school not having a real sense of uh, what I wanted to do uh, in terms of like a legal specialty. But I spent a summer working uh, at the United States Attorney's Office. And um, basically, that's the federal prosecutor's office. Um, there's one in uh, about 93 different federal districts in the United States. And I was really taken with the mission. Um, I liked being the kind of federal prosecutor that protected people against the overreach of companies that really have the power to make life impossible um, for people to deprive folks of economic opportunity. And then in terms of my path to public service, um, I was born in Sudan. Um, I came to this country when I was four years old. And uh, not long after uh, we got here, uh, the government dissolved in Sudan. Um, there was a coup, uh, there was a takeover by a regime that was brutal and um, that was also deeply misogynistic. And my mother, a brilliant woman, uh, came to this country in hopes of getting an advanced degree and pursuing academia. And so it was no longer safe for us to go home. And so, um, we applied for asylum and were incredibly fortunate to get it. And so I feel a deep gratitude to this country for taking in my family at a time when uh, the circumstances were not safe for us to go back. And so um, this this is part of a debt of gratitude that I feel. And, um, you know, the attorney general and his uh, confirmation hearing talked about how serving the public was his highest and best use. And that that really resonates with me. And I think it resonates with a lot of people who work at the Justice Department. Um, in terms of antitrust, uh, I started working at a law firm in New York City and handled an antitrust litigation and was totally hooked. Um, I love the idea of taking on giants. I've never liked bullies uh, my entire life. And so fighting bullies and making sure that uh, we are protecting people when they cannot secure their own economic liberty from corporations that have so much power is um, the thing that gets me up every morning. And I'm really privileged to serve in the Biden-Harris administration um, under this attorney general, under this assistant attorney general, because there is a universal commitment to making sure 
that there's economic opportunity for all people and that there's market integrity above all and that economic liberty will be part of our effort uh, as the Constitution says, uh, to form and, and advance our more perfect union. So let me play devil's advocate really quick. What do you say to the people who may say, well, Google is just a search engine that's not doing any harm to anyone. And secondly, do you foresee maybe an open AI or NVIDIA going through this same kind of issue in a few years down the line? So the thing about some monopolies is that they can threaten innovation and threaten opportunities in ways that you can't even conceive. Um, for example, uh, there are people who say that the Justice Department's monopolization lawsuit against Microsoft in the late 1990s may well have paved the way for uh, Google and other uh, tech companies to even take hold. Um, recall that um, the Microsoft enforcement action was about Microsoft allegedly thwarting uh, the ability of competing browsers to uh, uh, offer um, their services on uh, the Windows operating system. In terms of AI, what I find so interesting is that artificial intelligence is not actually new, right? Artificial intelligence just means um, intelligence that comes from a computer or software as opposed to uh, humans or animals. And so we've had artificial intelligence in one form or another since probably the 1950s, right? So when you think about uh, artificial intelligence, search engines, voice assistance search, um, content recommendation like you get on Netflix, all of that is within the broader umbrella of AI. I think what is different is that in the 2010s, there were um, serious breakthroughs in what's called deep learning. And I think that really supercharged investment in AI and uh, the rollout of products that I think are bringing the public into contact with AI, like ChatGPT, for example. Um, it's important to understand what services the ChatGPTs of the world are actually offering. Um, they're built on large language models, right? And particularly foundation models that essentially take in massive, massive quantities of uh, information and data. And so it stands to reason then that the companies that are already crawling and indexing the internet, of which they're actually kind of just two, right? There's Google, um, and you know that because you use Google search, and then there's Microsoft, right? Which um, offers the Bing service, um, those companies are going to have a leg up in these new frontiers. And, you know, to go back to the question about Google not really um, doing any harm, obviously we filed two lawsuits that, that suggest otherwise. Um, and it would be really a shame if uh, the high watermark of competition in artificial intelligence um, was actually dictated by the fact that we only have two search companies, for example. Imagine if we had um, nine or 10 or 15 different search engines that were all competing to offer you these next frontier services. So I think that's, that's how I think about uh, competition and um, the way that uh, markets are supposed to evolve and the real harms that flow from one company dominating uh, a particular product or service. Yeah, I, I'd like to talk about now uh, a use case that you guys have actually fought for um, in terms of education. 
in a few months, there will be plenty of uh, high school seniors that will be graduating and looking to go to college. And the way it usually works is if you, if you don't have money, you have to get financial aid. And financial aid can be something that is just kind of need-based, right? Like people will look at the income of your parents and they'll determine how much they're going to give you. Um, and once you get one quote, it's tough to get a different one from another school. So can you elaborate on what you've done in, uh, as far as the anti antitrust division to kind of combat that and make a difference? Sure. So I don't know about you guys, but uh, I cannot think of anything I've done that is more expensive than buying a house and getting educated. Um, you know, to your point, college seniors are, are graduating. They're going to be excited about colleges that they've gotten into and they are applying for financial aid. There's actually, there used to be rather, legislation that allowed colleges and universities to um, collude on the formula that they were going to use to offer financial aid so long as they were all need blind. Now, you guys are smart, you're sophisticated, you can probably already see what the problem is, right? If every college and university already knows what the other colleges and universities uh, are using as the formula for financial aid, there's not going to be competition to offer the best aid package to students. And in a world where, or in a country rather, where um, student loan debt is drowning young people and stifling um, you know, the American dream, the ability to buy a home, uh, the ability to maybe take on uh, lower paying public interest jobs um, and so forth is really thwarted uh, by that kind of conduct. Um, and I should say, in addition to the monopolization work that uh, our antitrust laws condemn, um, companies can't fix prices. They can't um, collude by uh, rigging bids um, or allocating markets. And so um, this is essentially collusion by another name. And so there was a lawsuit that was filed against a number of colleges and universities saying that the way they were uh, setting these formulas actually violated the antitrust laws. And the Justice Department filed um, an amicus brief, which is a fancy word for um, a kind of friend of the court brief to try to um, illuminate uh, the, the way the law should be applied to that particular lawsuit and took the side of uh, the students who are suing the universities and um, set out a framework for why that formula violates the antitrust laws. And I'm really pleased to say that a number of colleges and universities have actually settled uh, with the college students. And more importantly, Congress has allowed the legislation that even allowed them to collude in the first place uh, to sunset. And so that, that group, right, those fixing prices, which we call a cartel, has since been disbanded. And so going forward, colleges and universities are supposed to be competing on the financial aid that they offer young people, which is a good thing and is good news and is an example of how this administration um, and this Justice Department is fighting for people uh, across the country. The college cartel. So the cartel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cartel play. Yeah. Um. So you guys, uh, you, you're in an interesting position because you sue, you sue the most powerful people in the world, right? Like you, you have two lawsuits against Google. I want to ask you about that, but before another, another thing. Speaking of the college situation, that's very near and dear to our heart is uh sports, college sports in particular, and it's been a long-standing debate as far as NCAA, especially basketball and football, where 
the majority of players are black American. Um, and you know, for a long time, they wasn't able to get any compensation at all. Now they just started to be able to get paid from endorsements deal with NIA, um, NIL, but, um, they still are not compensated from the schools and there's still some level of restriction as far as the, the economic impact for athletes. Can you talk about that and, and what you guys thoughts and plans are as far as that's concerned? For sure. So in my time at the antitrust division, I have spent a long time trying to think about labor markets and I love sports because it's just kind of labor competition applied. And so, um, Thinking about the NCAA, um, you know, it is worth taking a step back because it's only recently that college athletes, um, and to your point, black and brown college athletes have been able to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. And it's worth asking why, right? So for decades, the NCAA essentially set the wages that these college athletes could make from their talent and their skill at zero. And there's no industry or no uh, sector where that kind of price setting would be tolerated. And nonetheless, the NCAA, which is the governing body for all the colleges and universities that put on um, sports to include Division I football and basketball, um, that is what they did for a long time. And so there was a private lawsuit um, that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And I'm really proud that in early 2021, um, the Justice Department, on behalf of the United States, filed a brief in support of the college athletes, declaring that the Supreme Court should find the NCAA's conduct, um, which, again, was depriving these college athletes of their name, image, and likeness uh, proceeds and, um, you know, education-related expenses beyond a certain amount um, is illegal. And the Supreme Court decided uh, 9-0, which means that every single Supreme Court justice agreed that what the NCAA was doing was, in fact, unlawful. And it paved the way for these athletes uh, to get, um, you know, compensation beyond uh, education-related expenses. Um, those fights are continuing, right? Uh, I suspect that uh, we will see um, decisions coming out of a pending lawsuit about the ability of colleges and universities to directly pay athletes. Um, I think those will come out of the courts in the very near term. Um, the Justice Department, actually, the antitrust division just intervened and um, joined a lawsuit uh, challenging the NCAA's transfer restrictions for college athletes. Um, recall that if you transfer a second time, um, the NCAA was forcing these talented athletes to sit out for a year. Um, and it, it just seems hard to me to justify why they would try to chill the movement of these athletes. Um, I think it remains to be seen where this goes, but I am, I'm certainly observing that there are uh, these like packs essentially that are offering uh, athletes compensation um, recruiting incentives and the like. And so this will be very interesting. Um, but again, I think antitrust has something to say for all of this. And it's really remarkable that just a few years ago, um, the NCAA, a billion dollar organization, was not sharing um, any of those proceeds with uh, the college athletes that were really the center of the talent and driving the entire enterprise. Uh, for someone who's inspired by your story and what you're doing, 
Uh, what are some steps that like young lawyers could take to get to where you are now for those who may not have been exposed to it as we weren't previous to talking to you tonight? For sure. Um, I think that the law is a noble profession. I think that lawyers can make a difference in the lives of people. Um, if you if you choose to pursue a career in law and public interest, um, again, antitrust was really shrouded in uh, a lot of mystery. It was not really well known even to uh, practicing lawyers, like just how fulfilling a career it can be. And I think that's changed. Um, I think people are very conscious of antitrust. Um, they are thinking about antitrust and digital platforms. They're thinking about antitrust in the term in terms of. Um, the ability of uh, ticketing companies uh, to charge you excessive fees. They're thinking about it in agriculture. They're thinking about it in every aspect of their life. And I would say that uh, people can uh, intern at the Justice Department. They can um, spend their summers at the Justice Department. They can apply to the honors program. You can apply to be a United States attorney. And you know there are plenty of opportunities at the Justice Department to uh, work on antitrust issues. And, um, you know, I would not be dissuaded uh, by the composition of the antitrust bar or um, what antitrust uh, opportunities might have been available previously. Um, we have a big task ahead of us and we have big obligations to the public and it's gonna take all of us. And one of the things that we like to say at the Justice Department is that we can't do our jobs effectively if we do not have a justice department that um, you know doesn't look like the rest of the country, right? And so it's very important for anyone who is interested um, to think about these issues and to uh, consider joining us. Um, it's also an all-you-can-eat antitrust buffet. We can teach people antitrust. Uh, we just need people who care deeply and passionately about the public and, and want to work hard and, and take on uh, companies that are doing real harm uh, to real people. So you said the, the two most expensive things that you'll do in your lifetime and for most people in their lifetime as well is get educated and buy a house. So I want to talk about housing for a sec. I'll read you something. Uh, today, there is a 30% point gap between black and white home ownership rates. Wider today than it was in 1960 when explicit housing discrimination was still legal. At the same time, the average seasonal adjusted U.S. home price has increased nearly 80 percent from April 2015 to April 2023. So I, I wonder what your department is going to do or is doing to address uh, some of these, these statistics. So the way that antitrust uh, can be brought to bear to make um, purchasing a home or renting your home um, more competitive and, and to bring about the benefits of competition to that process are uh, plentiful. So let's just talk about the process of buying a home. So if you're looking at buying a house anywhere in the country, um, what are you going to do? You're going to go uh, probably get on the internet. You're going to go to Zillow. You might go to Redfin. Um, you're going to go to some website that's going to show you uh, an inventory of houses. Well, typically the real estate agents that are uh, listing those houses or offering to show you houses are members of real estate associations, um, the biggest of which uh, I believe is the National Association of Realtors. And so these real estate agents have extraordinary power over how you buy a home. Um, most people don't realize that 
that both the listing agent and your agent when you're buying a house actually charge a commission. Um, combined, that commission can be 6% of the overall price of a home, which is really extraordinary considering uh, how expensive a home is. And it often gets tucked into uh, the, the, the amount that your um, lender is going to uh, offer in terms of a mortgage. So the picture is actually worse. In addition to being charged the commission, um, you're probably going to pay interest on that commission over the life of your mortgage. Um, it is incredible that there is not competition to bring those fees down. And in fact, a jury just this past year found that real estate associations were actually conspiring to artificially inflate the commissions that they were charging um, people. And so um, that jury found that just in the state of Missouri, that home buyers, I'm sorry, homeowners had actually been uh, artificially charged in excess of $1.8 billion, since billion with a B, which is a ton of money. And there are similar lawsuits that are being brought all over the country. Um, I think to me, it's shown that uh, problems in real estate actually run deep. Um, the Justice Department has uh, brought enforcement actions in this space. We're filing amicus briefs, again, those uh, friend of the court filings to make sure that we are putting our thumb on the scale to bring the price of housing down and to um, make housing more affordable. Um, I'm really moved by the statistics that you just quoted. Um, it is not great, obviously, that there's such a huge, a 30-point gap between white and black uh, home ownership. And while you know antitrust may not solve every single problem under the sun, but it can change the structural barriers to buying a home to include conduct that artificially inflates uh, the price of a home. Um, and just briefly, let me also hit uh, um, rent, right? Rent is extremely high. Um, people are being priced out of uh, housing and apartments all over the country. Um, we are aware that there are um, companies that offer um, software that essentially uh, sets the price of apartments um, for uh, real estate developers and landlords all over the country. And they may be using um, competitively sensitive information. Um, and again, through the use of those algorithms, be artificially increasing the price of rent. Um, that is a startling uh, uh, problem and we are um, taking it head on. Um, you know, the sharing of that kind of information um, unsurprisingly is called information sharing and antitrust has something to say about that. Um, and so we looked back at guidance that we had issued and found that our approach to information sharing was way too permissive. And so just last year, the Justice Department withdrew um, safe harbors for companies that wanted to share competitively sensitive information. Um, I gave a speech down in Miami about all of our concerns around information sharing and um, particularly the way that machine learning and artificial intelligence can really exacerbate uh, asymmetries between buyers and sellers. Um, and I think that the way that it's affected uh, rental prices is really a glaring example of that problem. So we were at Carnegie Hall um, last week and we spoke with uh, Robert Smith and he, he brought up a point that um, I had heard before, whereas um, artificial intelligence 
is obviously taking over the world. Um, but very few people are in power to actually program these 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 artificial intelligence programs, right? Um, and consciously or subconsciously, the artificial intelligence is getting programmed in the likeness of the person that's actually programming it, right? With their ingrained biases, with their ingrained opinions, with it's just human nature. Um, very, very few black people, very few women, very few a variety of anybody other than a certain tech group of white men are actually in position to shape how artificial intelligence thinks, which could be extremely dangerous because if you have 3% of the population, 1% of the population that's programming 100% of artificial intelligence, the artificial intelligence is going to think just like the, the 1% of the programmers. And they're going to have, like I said, biases. So now you have artificial intelligence that's racist, that has bias based on the programming that has been done. So are you guys thinking about that? And if so, are you having any um, level of input or are you looking to enforce some regulation on the programming of artificial intelligence so that it has some level of more diversity as far as the computers, the way that they're actually programmed to think? It's a great question. So the administration has issued an executive order on artificial intelligence. Um, there's a lot of factors and a lot of planks, but um, to your point, one of the most important aspects of that executive order is that AI needs to be safe and that there needs to be testing and um, that it should be free of those kinds of biases. Um, but I think that the problem that you've just teed up, I think, uh, goes back to why antitrust is so important. Um, antitrust is about the dispersion of economic opportunity. It's about removing um, structural barriers to economic opportunity. And the very fact that a small number of people, whoever they are, can control the market experiences of potentially hundreds of millions of Americans um, and people globally is just like right on the nose about what antitrust is intended to enforce. And so to me, it sets up uh, a choice between two paradigms. Um, one is trying to fix um, flawed inputs, trying to make sure that, um, you know, data sets and, and the objective function of some of these algorithms is, uh, you know, doesn't offend uh, law and policy for good reason. And, and there are some people who favor that. As an antitrust enforcer, I'm thinking about the entire power problem. And so to me, I would not want one company, a small number of companies to have such outsized power. And so I favor um, structural approaches, um, which is to say, making sure that there isn't that kind of power in the first instance over AI. Um, and again, that is that is consistent with the anti-monopoly tradition in this country and the spirit of the antitrust laws, right? Like our first antitrust law um, is called the Sherman Act and Senator John Sherman um, makes these impassioned pleas on uh, the floor of the Senate uh, in 1890. And he says that this stuff is antithetical to our form of government, that if we wouldn't endure a, uh, an emperor, we shouldn't endure the autocrats of trade. And I think that that's really resonant now, right? Like we, we think about um, the dominance of these companies and how four men, uh, you know, maybe a few others are 
again, having outsized control of every aspect of American life. And I, I don't believe it can be justified um, on legal antitrust grounds or just um, basic notions of uh, uh, the foundations of our democracy. Um, any thoughts on what could be done to help uh, Black-owned banks close the gap between how many of us are doing business with them versus their counterparts like JP Morgan, Bank of America, et cetera? Sure. So banks are uh, special financial institutions, and um, there's actually uh, a long history of how antitrust has been concerned about um, the financiers in consolidating important industries. Um, at the antitrust division, we're thinking about bank merger policy um, because we know that 49% uh, of all Black households in America are actually underbanked. Um, compared to just 15% of white Americans. Um, and those statistics are according to the Federal Reserve. Um, and Black Americans are looking to costlier and often uh, predatory alternatives um, to banking institutions. And so the other problem is that um, when there's a lot of consolidation of banks, they become less uh, sensitive to the needs of communities, um, which ultimately affects the wealth of communities. And so we are rethinking our bank merger guidelines to be um, more lucid to all of the ways that bank merger consolidation can really harm communities when uh, they are further and further away um, from communities. Um, I should also say that there's a huge role of other uh, federal agencies to include the Federal Reserve, um, the CFPB, uh, the OCC, and others who are tasked with thinking about all of the non-antitrust and all of the non-competition reasons um, to either permit bank mergers or not. And one of those important factors is convenience and need factors. Um, and so I suspect that they will be more um, focused on the needs of communities uh, because the consequences um, can really have awful knock-on effects for Black business formation, um, black home ownership, you know, and it's not just black people, right? There's, uh, you know, really harrowing accounts of um, how bank consolidation has hurt folks all across the country and how mergers have really hollowed out the middle of the country, which um, has a number of social, political, um, and economic consequences, uh, you know, for all of us and, and for the health of our democracy. Yeah, the, the banking numbers, the statistics are pretty alarming. The six largest banks uh, companies have amassed as many assets as all other bank holding companies combined. I mean, these these numbers are, are pretty startling. There's one last statistic I want to read you here. The One United, the largest Black-owned bank in the U.S., manages 60, $625 million in assets. In comparison, Bank of America manages nearly $2.5 And so those numbers are pretty staggering when we talk about monopoly. It, it feels right when we saw what happened with regional banks. Yeah. Uh, we saw what happened with uh, minority old banks as they continue to, continue to consolidate. That gap will widen even further. I want to go back to something that Shadi was talking about when we talk about artificial intelligence. I wonder how you guys are approaching this in the terms of the job market. When we talk about working wage, when we talk about workers, there's a fear from people that jobs will be replaced and automation will become at the forefront of, of the new job movement. A lot of those jobs will are probably uh, be taken, are manned by people that look like us right now. And so how are we looking at this from an anti-competitive uh, standpoint? You know, uh, 
there's an entire um, body of research on um, the failures of competition in labor markets that uh, if we had another five hours to talk about, uh, I would love to take you through all of it. Um, on the AI example in particular, um, I think that there are already uh, realized fears of how artificial intelligence can make the conditions of work um, or the availability of work uh, more tenuous. Um, you know, it is a fact that technological innovation um, can wipe out a number of jobs. Um, sometimes that's for reasons having nothing to do with violations of law um, to include the antitrust laws. Um, but other times when uh, there are really stark asymmetries of power between employers and their workers, um, there's good reason to think about whether there's a competition problem in the market. Um, I recently read, uh, and I won't name the company, uh, but I recently read that uh, uh, one of the sharing economy companies uh, uh, is thinking about using um, AI to uh, figure out what wages or fares to offer workers. And that struck me as remarkably uh, concerning, uh, if not dystopian, um, it is worth thinking more about uh, whether there are failures of competition or market structures that allow them to do that. But the fact is some people are very desperate. And if your prior willingness to take extremely low wages um, essentially means that companies are going to offer you more of that, um, that is a reason to be concerned. And so we are uh, taking all of this information in at the Justice Department. We're thinking deeply about it. Um, and if we believe that the facts and the law warrant law enforcement on those issues, we will not hesitate to do so. So, um, well, we want to thank you for your time. But before you leave, I just have one last question as far as... Um... Yeah, Google. So in a company like Google, right, you guys, it's an interesting dynamic because Google is one of the most powerful companies in the world. But the United States government is the most powerful government in the world. Right. So just what goes into that? Because that's like two heavyweight fighters fighting each other. Right. Like how much work, how much how many people is on that case? How much, you know, interns like, you know, when, you, when you're suing a company like Google, um, can you just kind of walk us through, like, what does that actually look like as far as like preparation months and going to trial and everything like that? So every it's a great question. Um, every law enforcement decision is often undertaken after careful investigation, um, after careful inspection of the facts and thinking about how the facts map onto law. Um, it is a fact of life that the most deep-pocketed, well-resourced companies in the world bring resources to these fights that can dwarf the entire budget of the antitrust division. And, you know, in case your readers are curious, uh, the entire budget of the antitrust division is just $225 million a year. And we actually have fewer people today than we did in 1979. And obviously, the economy is much bigger and it's gotten more complex. Um, there are ways in which big companies try to intimidate enforcers, um, try to thwart our actions. But, you know, if that's the experience that we are having, imagine what an ordinary person goes through trying to hold uh, companies, especially big and well-resourced companies, to account um, for violations of law or in order to 
um, protect their economic liberty. Um, you know, big fights require big investments of resources, and uh, we feel that um, we don't have infinite resources. And so often it means that um, we have to pick the most worthwhile fights that um, can help the most people and that can uh, bring the most benefit to the overall economy. But we're always mindful of the special role of the Justice Department um, in, in bringing on those fights. Um, you, you, so you guys, you guys have less people than you had in 1978 or something like that. You said, um, is, that, is that because, um, powerful corporations are purposely putting political pressure to weaken you guys authority? That is my favorite question of the night. Um, there are, uh, multiple reasons why the antitrust uh, enforcement resources have shrunk. Um, but the most obvious is that uh, starting in the 1980s or so during the administration of Ronald Reagan, um, there was a conscious effort to pull back on antitrust enforcement. Um, there is a belief that markets are self-correcting, that uh, you know, most monopolies uh, were actually harmless, that most mergers were actually harmless. And I think what we've seen is that that has been a failed experiment and that we were too permissive of uh, uh, sort of leaning on markets to um, correct problems. It is also true, um, and Professor Tim Wu at Columbia has written uh, prolifically about these issues, that companies that get bigger also have hefty lobbying budgets and can, uh, you know, advocate for their interests, shall we say, in, uh, you know, agencies and, and forums that, that really matter. Um, you know, a few years ago, there were efforts to really legislate to take on uh, the power of big tech companies and the lobbying dollars that went to that effort, I think, were outstripped only by uh, the Georgia senatorial elections in 2021. And um, that should tell you something, right? That is, that should tell you about the power of antitrust to really open up markets and open up opportunities and the way that threatens um, well-resourced companies that are able to generate staggering profits, uh, sometimes through anti-competitive conduct that violates the antitrust laws. Well, Doha, we thank you. There you have it, ladies we and gentlemen. Thank you. And we appreciate uh, you sharing your, your intelligence and your level of expertise um, and making us all aware to a topic that we're not too familiar with. Uh, so we appreciate you. And we appreciate the Muhammad Ali pictures in the background. <laughs> very good touch. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> it's a source of inspiration every day. So thank you for everything you guys do as well and uh, for making your audience more aware of law and policy and political issues that really matter uh you're doing a service to the public thank you i appreciate thank it you. um and eyl is too big to fail but hopefully we never end up on the department of justice please i trust please hopefully we never have to come in, in contact with you guys please. that that would be um it, it was a if, it, if you ever see those three letters just know it was a typo <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you thank you so much we greatly appreciate it thank you so much have a good night you too. Appreciate it. Yeah, it gives uh, new meaning to uh, yeah. You guys want big government? Like every when she was giving that explanation, that's yeah. I'm, I'm in my head. I'm thinking like you hear that rhetoric all the time, 
and then these are the ramifications. Like, well, there's less people now to investigate things that could actually gen- uh, help the public. So that was that was that was great information for sure. You know, um, the whole point of the platform is to basically bring different people on that you may not have been exposed to talk about different topics. Last last week we brought on a gentleman from the Chamber of Commerce. We brought somebody from the Department of Justice. Never again will you probably be ever be exposed to this level of uh, exposure. It's extremely important to um, take it in in the moment yeah. because um, it's a variety of different things. You have the information part. That's one thing. But then also it opens up a variety of different um, aspirations for people to aspire to. Mm-hmm. Right. So now you look at somebody that's in the Department of Justice as a lawyer and it's like, OK, maybe that maybe that's a career path that I want for myself or I, I want for my children. You see somebody that's in a chamber of commerce. You didn't really even know about the chamber of commerce, right? It's like, okay, maybe that's something. He's talking about international business, right? You, you we interview uh, the AI um, engineer, and he's talking about artificial intelligence as far as you know computer programming, right? So it just it opens up a different level of of exposure um, to it, and I think that that's something that definitely cannot be um, looked over because um, I've never seen it happen before. So. Um, it's just important to kind of keep that in mind for sure. Also, if you listen to the information, if they have fewer employees now than they did in 1979, I think we can say like NVIDIA and Google to the moon. <laughs> they're going to pay their little fine and they're going to say, hey, I'm going to correct our behavior. But it won't happen again. And they're going to go on about business. Like the lobbying power that you was alluding to, they've essentially finagled. Take the tone down, right? <laughs> Renegle their way into a non-monopolistic environment that is truly a monopoly. I, and even with Apple and Google, I'll say it all the time, like, technically, they're friendly enough to be considered a monopoly, but if you keep them separate, they're not. If we do business together and I give you $10 billion, then you give me $15 billion back, like... And, and 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 we'll pay the the one billion dollar fine that yeah. was worth doing business. It's interesting, but I, I think another part, and Shah, you kind of allude to it, is that the access to these people like is almost impossible right like th- and this is why it's important when, when we talk about being everywhere and showing up everywhere and making sure that you make your way around the room these are the reasons why because you never know who's in the room like you could walk into somebody from the, the department of uh, antitrust or the chamber of commerce and you wouldn't know it right if you didn't actually go in a room and most people are looking for all right there's a celebrity but i mean how beneficial is that going to be to the overall public or the overall information that you're trying to learn so it's important to make sure that you you treat everybody with the same integrity and look at everybody as an opportunity to learn for sure and protect us (laughs) please real talk no that that no i i laugh because i laugh to hide the pain on on a few different levels on a few different levels because um you know it's dangerous um so you got to protect us from the haters, you got to protect us from the higher ups. You got to protect us from a variety of different things. Um, we need we need your protection. Yeah, because um, there's a lot of people that's not happy about this this um, platform for a variety of different reasons. Like mm-hmm. I said, you you yeah. ed- you educating people, you you bringing different people on, you you changing the way people think. You know, you got black investors as the as the number one um, group of new investors. Everybody's not happy about that. Yeah. Somebody asked me, "What's the price for liberation?" And, I, and I had to sit with them. and and everybody that's not happy about it. It's not a race thing because there's a lot of black people that's not happy about it either. Right. We talked about the self hate thing a long time ago. So yeah. it's black and white yeah. devils. There, there's a so um, new levels, new devils. Yeah. We had a conversation um, maybe in September uh, with with a 
a good friend of ours and he was saying look you're liberating people you got to understand the magnitude and the weight of that everybody's not happy about that and everybody doesn't champion that so we have to protect you at all costs and that that when he i thought about it i'm like yeah he's right he's right but the audience needs to understand it as well like we're going to do everything on our part to make sure that we're obviously in the safest environments as possible so we can continue to, uh, to deliver the information but the audience has to have that shield around us as well I mean, then I'll come in and say, fly yourself out and then take your horn and snatch you. I mean, so some of our stupidity caused this. Shout to Vanguard for all the protection. I love you so much. BlackRock, JP Morgan, I continue to need you and love you dearly. If I made you money, please put yes in chat and put hashtag invest in yourself in chat too. And that's the and that's the good thing too. We give you, we give we give you we give you great diversity, you know. Um we give you great diversity between earn your leisure. We interview entrepreneurs and go through that back story. And then Market Mondays is a is a is a, an appropriate family show. Um and blackout is for that blackout hour, man. Like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people were saying, like, damn, like, can we get back to the financial topics? Look, we talk about financial topics all the gave time. you AMD NVIDIA <laughs> QQQ Franklin Templeton episode 70 classic should have went triple. What are we talking that, that, about? That, that's the mindset of like, let me box you into what I think all you know. Like, there's plenty of other opinions. Like, I'm glad we got to do something yesterday uh with basketball. They were like, I never saw Shadi that excited ever, right? But yo, he's grew up playing this sport that he loves. And so anytime he's involved in it, and anytime I'm gonna be around sports. This genuine joy just being around it. Yeah, we love talking about business. That's, we've done that for the all our lives. And for the past five years, we shared that with the world. We love talking about investing. We've done that and coming up on four years, which is incredible. Four years of doing that. Can we talk about some other things too? Um, really quick, even that conversation, that's a financial management conversation. For sure. That you don't know until for sure. you actually that's get the, there. That's a short, for sure. It's all so, related. But it's like, you know, I think I think we're the most versatile. I think we're the most versatile. We could talk to, you know, a lawyer, a politician. We could talk to a rapper. We can talk to what they say. What's the what's the what's the consensus amongst everyone? Oh yeah, everybody likes us. We man. good at we good wherever we at wherever we at, we good. Most versatile award goes to. But don't worry. <laughs> blackout is not this blackout shouldn't be played in front of children. That's why it's at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> or if you want to teach your kids something in advance, you know, go through the hardships other people may have gone through. This content is not for, for children. Hey, Mike, Market we, Mondays is. Market Mondays Mike, is. we got to put that at the bottom of uh, the lower third. The we, rating. Go, we go from Disney to Cinemax uh, yeah. in one day. To day trading at night. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Skinemax. And part of this button fault. Shot the button ish. Last year, you know, he got in his little one-two. <laughs> oh, you know, I want to see you do more. Here I am. <laughs> Closer than ever. Ta-da. Shout out to the guys, though. Uh, you want to talk about a topic or tell them what topic we'll be talking about tomorrow? Yeah, on, on Blackout? Wednesday? Yeah. Or wow. should we wait? Well, let's nah, wait. Nah, 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 nah. Tune in later. Nah, we're, we're, from a production standpoint, we're going to wait. Gotcha. All right. All right. All right. He, he was thinking too much. Well, I'm gonna say it, but no, 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 no. I don't, don't, don't want to lose. Let him tune in. I don't want to lose sponsorship. Let's stay here. Let's stay here. So let's talk about Bitcoin through the roof. Bitcoin, the, the unstoppable, unstoppable Bitcoin is fastly approaching um, all-time highs. It's at fifty-one, uh, fifty-one thousand six hundred right now. I think the all-time high is like sixty thousand. I think at sixty-five. Yep. So it, it's headed towards that. It's it's been you know it broke fifty thousand last week. That was the first time in like three years that it, it broke fifty thousand. 
um, the unstoppable Bitcoin, man. It, you know, every time it gets counted out, it, it keeps going. So, um, you know, we talk about Bitcoin having, we talk about the ETF um, situation. So with this streak of weekly gains that puts the, the record in sight, what's the thought on Bitcoin? And will the record be broken this year? It says 69,000 was the record. So 69,000. Yeah. Um, I believe by middle of April. The, the all-time high should be broken. I'm looking at it right now, like record inflows, 2.4 weekly, uh, 2.4 billion weekly inflows are coming in. That uh, 69,000 price is really key. Shout out to everyone. When I called out 28,000, 20,000, I know I get vilified on the internet, mm -hmm. but I did mm -hmm. say that. Mm -hmm. And Mike Novogratz did say, boy, know what he's talking about. So I think um, by mid-April, we should get past 69, going to 70. After that, we should have a nice little pullback maybe 10% if you will. And then I think we'll be great for the rest of the year. But um, by mid-April, I think we should break that previous all-time high. So I'll do a quick follow-up with that. So if we're saying it's going to, it's going to get there in the next, I guess, month and a half, two months, what does it say for the, the crypto economy uh, in terms of the stocks, right? Does What does that look like for MicroStrategy? What does it look like for the ETF? We just saw a Coinbase report. They had a, a great- Coinbase going to be- <laughs> Brian, you, so, you're a hell of a CEO. So more Mike, of the man. same. Yeah. Okay. They'll be great. Michael Saylor, he'll be back on Lex Friedman, um, <laughs> printing more money than ever. So um, as a result, Bitcoin is, you know, the market maker, the S&P of the crypto space. Mm -hmm. so as they continue mm -hmm. to go higher, they'll be okay and everything will be drug up as a result. Yeah, we saw, and for those who didn't see the Coinbase's reporting, that fourth quarter where we saw Bitcoin started to edge up to hit 30 hit 35 and then kind of sat there went to 40 now it's at 50 so we're anticipating the first quarter if it gets to these numbers obviously coinbase will have another strong quarter as well yeah. so let's let's talk about the boy jeff bezos <laughs> they recently sold two billion dollars of amazon stock and that's his third i believe his third time he sold stock this month and before that he hadn't sold stock for a while especially yeah. nothing on that size like in years mm -hmm. um and a lot of other people are, are selling their stocks so you always want to sell at a high um and i'll never forget litecoin <laughs> remember litecoin <laughs> yeah. so this is how i knew that charlie I, lee i knew shout out to charlie lee he's a legend <laughs> i knew we were screwed and, and i knew we were screwed with this when um charlie lee the founder of litecoin um litecoin was going up crazy and uh he sold all of his Litecoin. Like he sold every, like he sold everything. And um smart move. Low key. Moved to Thailand or whatever he did. Put it and, on Twitter. And then it kept and then after that, it went up. And everybody was like, damn, that was a stupid decision. Why would you sell it? And it went up. And then after that, it just completely crashed and it's never reached that level ever since. So um, yeah. Now, Jeff Bezos didn't sell everything, obviously. No, no. But whenever a founder sells shares billions of dollars worth of shares mm -hmm. um it's alarming to to people especially the average everyday investor and it does it signal that is time escape it's been real and um get your profits and and uh wait it out uh not always necessarily i i said that before when you start to see things like that ceos and execs selling shares when you start to see job layoffs they're cutting back to make sure that the bottom line is profitable. The margins are bigger. In this case, I think, though, it might be a liquidation event to fund something else. Yep. We already have seen what he wants to do with space exploration. 
Shadi, you and I have been a plenty of part where, of where the hell is Charlie Lee at? <laughs> what? Thailand enjoying his wife. He sold at the top and got yeah, out. Yeah. Why, why the real move, that's a smart man? Let me let me just finish let me just finish this before he just throws this radar. But we've had plenty of conversations about space exploration and where that's headed, and we know what they're doing with Blue Origin. So I think the liquidation event is to now fund because most people think, oh, he's worth 121 billion. No, he doesn't have 121 billion, right? He has shares in his company, which have amassed nearly one point almost two trillion dollars. So he to have a liquidation event to now fund something else or maybe invest in something else. I think that's what this is. But go ahead, y'all can talk about Um people forget that before he founded Amazon, Jeff Bezos did work. What? Worked for a hedge fund. Mm -hmm. People forgot that he's a great trader. So Mackenzie's former wife's a great trader, right? She got in with him at the low, rode it to the high, liquidated. Great move. <laughs> he used to want to go to space until he went through and found Lauren. There's no reason to go to Mars if he, he on a yacht. You see the boat pulling the yacht? That, the guy's impressive. So making that move to Miami. The islands, right? He just bought, was it, $149 million? The other island boy. So... Yeah. My thing is like this is incredibly well timed. He hadn't liquidated. He's living life. He's moving to Miami. I think the part of this is a liquidation event to build something. I'm not sure if it is space, but if you had a six billion dollar slush fund just sitting around that you wanted to liquidate, and you put your all into a business for twenty or thirty years, wouldn't you to capitalize on it? I'm still happy about Amazon. Long Amazon. That won't change. It's one of the top picks in stock club has been for years. I mean, but it's almost at the all-time high. He is selling at the place where he should. Yeah, think about That's that. It. A $6 billion transaction, what's the percentage of his net worth? Less than 5%? I mean, wouldn't you? Not bad. <laughs> wouldn't you? Continue to be on vacation. <laughs> the world tour inside of the world tour. We're going to talk We're gonna talk Wednesday. The world tour inside of the world. And plus, you know, I'm sure the, you know, the new love of his life is, is you know, maybe adding some influence to live up. Uh, a little bit likes nice things you know <laughs> hit the like button and share we are at the final stretch but we are not done yet semiconductors we talk about semiconductors a lot and we yep. talk about amd we talk about nvidia but there are other semiconductors out there um so what are the best value i don't like the word cheap because i think that cheap um has a certain connotation to it um, I'm a I'm a value shopper. I'm not a cheap bargain shopper. I don't want I don't want to buy cheap clothes. It, I want to buy clothes that can be priced well. Gotcha. But I don't want to go to like you know Target. I'm not buying my whole outfit in Target. You know dudes that do that? No, you know people do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did now. He didn't know. No disrespect to nah, anybody. I mean, that's I'm not, not that he might be getting off. All right, Target might have not been the best example. <laughs> Unless she was Walmart. Unless she was Walmart as a better example. Sam's Club. Payless. Sam's Club. Payless. No, no, Payless. Pay does that? I don't even know if that exists anymore. Payless. I thought they went bankrupt. I never got anything from Payless. Penny loafers. No, I never had penny loafers. Never in your life. I had penny loafers. Yeah, me too. No, Michael Jackson bad penny loafers. That's an 82 thing. We ain't doing we ain't doing the penny loafers. I'm, I'm sure there's a picture with you with penny loafers. I'll make some clothes. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, send a picture. I'll make some calls. Yeah. They watch it right now. They probably gonna send it to me. Yeah. So um <laughs> so what what are some value 
less less uh, expensive, higher end um, semiconductor stocks that people might not be aware of that uh, still could potentially be reasonable for their budget. Um, so one is Magna Chip Semiconductor. First, I must say NVIDIA and AMD are the two that I love. This is just a list to put on your watch list. I don't love many out of this list, but uh, Magna Chip Semiconductor, ticker MX is one. Hymax Technology, ticker HIMX is number two. Um, ASEW Technology, ticker ASX. Number four is uh, Arteris, ticker AIP, and uh, Navita Semiconductor, NVTS. I like ASX potentially, but I, I know you don't want to call them cheap. I'm going to call them cheap semiconductors. <laughs> um, it was almost as trash as that NBA All-Star game last night. Like, <laughs> cool, good effort, but I need to see more. Some of these are priced under 50 bucks. Some are under 20. I wouldn't buy any of these today. If you missed out on ARM, if you missed out on NVIDIA, AMD, you may have to wait. You have to still make sure that the CEO is going to do a great job in these companies that have not been done. But ASX out of these, I would probably look to trade. But if you feel like NVIDIA is too yeah. high, almost at 800, AMD is run up too much, put these on a watch list. And if you see something in the reports or research that makes you like it, maybe you can invest into it later. They want to know about uh, SMCI. I know it was on our. Uh, yeah, talked about it. It was on our notes last week. I don't think we got to it, and then yeah. they reported, and then we saw a pullback. They dropped twenty percent, but the run up has been ridiculous. Insane. I mean, at it, a twenty percent pullback, you should love it if you loved it the week before. Right. I, I'm gonna add one, and just because it just happened tonight, um, and I spoke about Global Foundries before as we were talking. This actually came through the board. So, uh, Global Foundries ticker uh, GFS. The U.S. government has awarded them one point five billion. Uh, to subsidize semiconductor production here in America. It's the first major award from the $39 billion fund approved by Congress in 2022 to bolster domestic chip production. And so if we're talking about having chips here, we talked about the supply chain issues that we had during the pandemic. It, this is the first company that's been awarded uh, for the federal government, $1.5 billion. Uh, so the foundries will be built here in New York. And there'll be one in Vermont as well. I think the average revenue that it's supposed to bring the state is somewhere between 10 to 12 billion. Yeah. Um, I mean, so this this is this is a this is a good one. I like it maybe like at around 45 bucks. Um, speaking of value, and I, I before it, I swear after this, I'm done. Can we talk about Mark Zuckerberg saying that the Oculus 3 is a better value than the Vision Pro? We don't have to. I understand why he did it. Um I and, I, and, I, and we, and we told the, I, I spoke to the people at Meta, our good friends over at Meta, have, and I said I that to be fair to them, if they send us the Quest, I will use it, I will test the product, and I will give them the same amount of attention um, for a review, um, and so people can make their own judgment on it. Here's some game for there's, you. There's, there's one last thing, because the, the Vision Pro, again, I, I tested it, something new. I'm not sure that if you saw it, but they have this app where you can actually go inside of the medical field and you can actually study the human body, learn surgery, but actually like be interactive with it. I'll, I'll send a video. I'll put it uh, in the chat or something like that. Incredible. Here's, Incredible. Some, here's some game for you. Anytime you guys say somebody else's name, you already lost the battle. Big facts. Just me and you never get a reply for it. Um, so that's that's some game for you out there. And obviously, everybody knows how I feel about Meta. I love Meta. I love Instagram. But anytime you got to say somebody else's name, 
you lost the battle already or you're already losing the battle. Yeah. Apple doesn't have to say anybody's name. They don't got to go. Tim Cook doesn't have to make a Instagram post saying how his product is superior to Apple. It's not going to happen. It's really not. So for, for Mark Zuckerberg to do that, that shows me that he's in fear of Apple. He knows that he's losing the battle when it comes to that. And um, that yeah. to me was kind of a desperation play. The, the momentum is there. We didn't, the, the initial estimate for the Vision Pro was 240,000 units in the first quarter of its uh, debut. I think they're at over 750,000. I mean, they just, they were, they're just blowing the sales out the roof. So I can only imagine what the rest of the year will look like as they add more apps to it, as they add more innovation to it. Shout out to Jube Ivy for the 99 cent super chat. Appreciate you so much. Love. Appreciate you. Yes. Appreciate you. One dollar a day. That's always been the goal, man. That's if you could fact. if you could just do one dollar a day. One fan a day, one dollar a day. Shout out to Nori. One dollar a day. Yeah. Um, yes, sir. Appreciate you. Yeah. Um, Ameriprise Financial CRH. Uh, both got rated as two stocks to buy by Morgan Stanley. Do you agree with this? You touch your nose? Yeah. Um, I got to quit pissing off every industry, so I'm going (laughs) to be kind to this one. Shout out to everyone at Ameriprise Financial. I'm not that really big on financial services long term. I know Capital One acquired Discover. Capital One is- 35 billion. Yes, I like them. Um, CRH, I do like. Um, Instead of all-time high of 77.59, great. Maybe if it pulls back to 60, I would get it there. Capital One, I like, but Ameriprise, I do not like as much. Financial services companies, I do not love because they don't give the best return overall. So I won't disagree completely with the guy from Morgan Stanley, but I would not look to put Ameriprise because I think there's a bunch of competitors, JP Morgan, BlackRock. Like you literally have to ask in a second who's best. Mm-hmm. I don't want fifth best. I don't want the eighth best person uh, to fly itself out. I want the best. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Put on your Vision Pro. We we can go to Bahamas or wherever. Right? <laughs> Completely immersive. Yes. But when, put this in chat. When I'm investing in stocks, I want the best of breed. You don't want the ninth best. Like, so kudos to Ameriprise Financial. They were great in 2005 and 2007. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to invest in them right now. So, Not touching that. Not touching. I'm with no, you. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay. So let's talk about shorting. Let's talk about um, Let's do it. puts. Yeah. If you have to put puts, this is when you short the market. This is when you are betting that a stock is going to go down. Right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some shorts. Some shorts, shall we, for all you gamblers out there. Trading has considerable risk. Not gambling. Please consult your advisor. It's not gambling. Gambling requires right? hope. Investing requires certainty skill. and skill. Yes. So number one, yes. uh, let's go with Intel. W- would you short Intel at this time, or would you? At this time, I'm. I'm. Let's go through the list. Read the list, and I'll just tell you the ones I'm shorting. Okay, guys. Right, let's do that. Uh, let's do Southwest, Intel, Foot Locker, Coursera, and I'm gonna throw a bonus one in Nike. Ah, good. I'm glad you said Nike because it's part of my answer for Foot Locker. Yes, I would short Foot Locker. Um, if you looked at the news last week about Nike and the CEO which was very honest of him, and it was brutally honest. He said, we are lacking innovation. The same day, 2,500 people were fired. 
Ladies, just like when, when your man gets caught cheating and then he got to be like, yeah, baby, I just did it. Let me just yeah, go ahead and get the clearing out. <laughs> when the CEOs come out and be just honest, yeah, that, things are messed up in the organization. And this is one of those things. And somebody had asked us the other day about the art of investing. Is it an art or is there a science? And I, I said, Shadi's more of the art where it's like a sense, right? I could feel if you look at Nike and what they've been doing from product standpoint, yeah. it has been retro, 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 retro. Not as much as innovation when it comes to its core athletes and its core products. Now, why does that affect Foot Locker? Well, seventy percent of their their uh, products come from Nike, mm -hmm. and so if Nike has a pullback, what happens to Foot Locker? It's oh, just you it's, get pummeled. You're getting pummeled, right? And in fact, how many people are still going into store? How many people are still buying product? So when you take those things into account, you say you're getting pummeled. Pummeled. You pausing me? I said oh, Nike's getting pummeled. That's this guy. Now he's trying to give me back. No, no, no. He's trying to give me back from yesterday. He's trying to give me back from yesterday. Like, he's trying to give me back from yesterday. We're not gonna let it fly. No, 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 no. Not gonna let it fly. Because I I I caught him. No, I caught him yesterday. I caught him. I'm I'm not gonna shit privately. I shared a conversation. That was that was fat to try to do that. It was worse. It was worse. I said they I said they as I continue. All right, so Coursera, Coursera, and this is this is a valuable lesson. The online education space, when in terms of in terms of uh, companies that are on the market, look at how they perform since post pandemic. So pandemic, we saw a run up. We saw the checks of the world. We saw the two U's of the world have a run up. Since the pandemic has ended, or I guess during that time as well. People back outside, education has gone back to its normal standard for well, the new standard uh, of how it's being uh, formatted. Those companies have plummeted. Yeah. What would be the difference from Coursera? I don't see a competitive advantage. I don't see a mode. I see that industry is going down. So if the trend is going that way, this would be a company again I would put on the put list. So Full Locker, I'm putting on the put list. Coursera, I'm putting on the put list. Intel. If we're talking about this quarter, and yep. I know they, they're part of this $39 billion infrastructure uh, chip bill, um, we'll see how they play in that. But if I'm looking at the quarter and I'm looking at who's innovating in that space, they're not in the top five. And so I probably would put a put there. And South by Southwest, I think we spoke about this last yeah. week in terms of the airlines and the space yeah, overall, will they need a bailout? And so for all those reasons we spoke about last week, I'm putting all four of them on the put list. At what price point are you exiting the pummeling? <laughs> the people want to know but hashtag pummel put it in chat <laughs> yo y'all foul that's what y'all doing <laughs> these are just jokes i let Stop you in my home and this is what you do i know i'm about <laughs> my bad my bad these are just jokes written by 85 south young fly Andrew Schultz and Chico Bean. Yo, if I made you money, please put yes in. You said something wild too, the other week too, right? I did. Oh, with the Apple Vision Pro, didn't you? Oh, no, but you pa you paused me. And okay. I, I said, but, wow. Can you repeat what you said yesterday? Or would you would you just like to leave that between us? Come on. <laughs> Content over everything. Come on. Content all right, all right. Come on. What uh, you say? It was, in context, it was nothing. We'll just say it out of context then. Let's see how it sounds. You can't say anything out of context. You can. Would you like to? Or I'll, 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 I'll leave. You want paraphrase? No, I'll take. I'll take You're the pause friend. moment tonight. You're a good friend. It'll be mine.
Uh, yo, man, why y'all playing pounce out pump? Hashtag <laughs> always that. They get blocked, Miguel. You get blocked, man. Hey, why y'all treating me like that? <laughs> just jokes. All right, before we wrap this, Capital One, big news. So Capital One, um, is the deal done or are they- uh, yeah, They bought it. I think yeah. all- They purchased Discover. Discover, yeah, Discover card, yeah. Capital One purchased Discover. Um, okay, this is interesting. This actually, which um, we talked about with uh, Doha, as yeah. far as um, the Department of Justice, right? And looking at, you know, too big to fail and stuff like that. Yep. Um, so that lobbying team for sure. So Capital One uh acquiring Discover Card. Do you think that this is a good merger? And um, um I, can I, we benefit from the situation at all? I think it's a good acquisition for them in the interim. I'm not super excited about it. I know people were acting like this is like Apple buying Microsoft or something, but I think uh for the customer acquisition part, it's gonna be pretty good. I like Capital One stock in the financial space. This will help that it does shrink um some competitive threats, if you will, if you're looking down the line. But um, on a scale of one to 10, this may be like a five and a half or a six. Great move for Capital One as regional banks are failing to absorb a, co a competitor, but I'm not like elated as it's like the greatest merger or acquisition I've, I've ever seen. So I'll, I'll give it a B or B minus in terms of acquisitions overall. But if you're not in Capital One, don't worry about it. But if you have been in the stock for a while, um, you should start to look to exit maybe in like two or three years as a result and make some money from your position. Let's let's talk about one thing. Um we did it, we did an episode last week that was a brilliant episode. Um, and it was one of these things that when we talked to Tashana Brown Duckett, who is the CEO of TIA Craft, I put a clip that got a lot of traction about 48% of young people oh, yeah. are not invested into their 401k. And um the clip got a lot of reaction online and then a lot of people was um saying well the reason why we don't invest in our 401k is because it's a scam um and the 401k only gives you you know three percent a year we could do better in the stock market we don't need to invest in the 401k a variety of different things and then we actually ran into her this weekend and um we had a conversation about it uh so i thought that it was interesting but um you know, I do think that it is important to have some level of responsible conversation about a 401k, um, being that I used to be a financial advisor. So um, you might be disappointed in this. I am a radical person, but I'm also a responsible person. So it's my duty. So I got to be the devil in this conversation. Yeah, I got sure. you. It's my I'm duty to, 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 <laughs> to add some gotcha. level of responsibility to this. Um, okay, where do I start? 401k is not a scam. Not a scam. Does it under deliver on the return on investment that a person should receive by investing in it? Well, that's the thing, right? 401k is not, it's not like a one size fit all. There's a variety of different 401ks. So depending on who your 401k provider is, you usually have anywhere from six to I've seen up to a hundred. That's on a that's on a, the rare side, anywhere from six to 25, 30 different options of how you choose to invest your 401k you have different options of how you choose to invest your 401k so it is not like a set thing of like you're only going to get three percent now you usually can't you usually cannot have a self-directed 401k sometimes you can but very rarely can you have a self-directed 401k so you can't invest in like apple stock you can't invest in microsoft but you can invest in the s&p 500 
you can invest in different, you know, a growth fund, an international fund. And we talk about investing in funds is actually a better way to go about stock market investing than investing. And in, but look, outside of that, I've made money in 401ks. I, like I said, I was an advisor. I've seen people with $2 million, $3 million in their 401ks. It's not a scam. You can make a lot of money in your 401ks. It's a form of investing. Um, it, it is great to lower your tax liability. Right. Um, and if you're a business owner, you could put even more money into the 401k plan. So it lowers your tax liability. So you save money on taxes. Now you, you get taxed when you take the money out. But if you have a Roth 401k, there's a there's a Roth 401k, just like there's a Roth IRA. The Roth 401k allows you to put money in. You don't get a, you don't get tax savings, but it's tax free when you take the money out, just like a Roth IRA would be. But it allows you to put more money in than a regular IRA would, would be. So it's extremely important to diversify, guys. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, but there's nothing wrong with saving for your retirement. Retirement's not that far away. The age, 59 and a half is not that old. Like, you know, it's crazy. I still look 17, I've, you know, and- You feel 17, right? But it's not that far off. But I'm almost 40. Yeah. Next week. No, I'm almost 40. So- So- He's not claiming the check. I mean, I'm not 40. I'm, gotcha. I'm 40 next week. So I say that to say, 40 years happen pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So before you know it, God willing, I'll be 60 pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not going to be too, it's not going to be too long before I'm 60 years old. So I think it's important to save for your retirement. The 401k does provide you a vehicle. And if they match, if your company matches, that's even better because that's, that's even free. That's free money. So, um, you know, it's like I said, should you put every single dollar that you have into your 401k? No, that's not advisable. You can do other things. You could be more risky. You could have, you know, different allocations. But I do think that it's important to save for your future. And most people don't have retirement savings. So when you get to that point in time, um, you know, you're faced with limited options if you haven't planned earlier in, in your in your life. So. Guys not a scam guys not a scam uh take advantage of it now stay on top of it make sure that you you know are invested the right way i, I talk about um target date funds i like target date funds it changes and becomes more aggressive as you get close to that target date like if it's like a 2050 or 2060 fund it goes off for the year that you plan on retire like i said you can usually invest in like a s p 500 you could usually invest in you know international growth stocks small mid cap and it gives you a variety of different options so you want to kind of look through it or maybe sit with an advisor to kind of help you go through it um <clears throat> but be mindful be mindful don't don't you know go with just something that you heard and you're not fully aware of what you're actually um doing yeah i think the broader point people are, are frustrated with the return that they're receiving but this is why the show is created um so continue to invest on your own pour into your 401k like you said and the way inflation is going now you're probably going to need to double down these next five years on investing in your own personal accounts um, seeing what the cost of mortgages are now, the cost of rent is now. Um, even Nike, like I remember when Nike were the luxury shoe brand, they're almost a value shoe. Nike, y'all need to call Kanye and uh Don C. Shout out to the Midwest. Y'all ran the Don C retro play into the ground. 
revenue's dry. Mark Parker. Shout out to Don. We saw him this weekend. Yeah. Like, call, Don, call Don. Don may have some ideas for you. Um, but if you want better returns, you have to remember this. Nobody's going to care about the return on investment that you receive or how much money you accumulate in your life but you. And also, um, so I'm, I'm reading comments. So um, you should definitely re roll over your 401k if you leave your job to an IRA. That's beneficial. Yeah. Um, you should the 401k is for for-profit organizations or 403b is for nonprofit organizations but they're very similar they have similar type of um options available to you so if you're a teacher or if you work in a hospital you might have a 403b but or you might have a, a tax deferred annuity a tda um but they're all kind of very similar to each other um as far as what you said somebody says, "What about the fees involved?" Yeah, I mean, there's fees for sure. It's, it's managed money, though. But the fees is not. It's not going to be twenty percent. Hedge funds charge twenty percent. Yeah, ridiculous. To get to get, you could have watched Market Mondays and, and made more money than what a hedge fund would Good charge guys. you. And it's seven, the hedge fund, well. the hedge fund charging you twenty percent of profits. So, I mean, there's no free lunch. But I mean, I think I think we're arguing over something that's not really. In the grand scheme of things, if you're looking at a 75 basis points, that's that's a that's 75 percent of one of one percent. Is that going to make or break the situation? Probably not. They said Knight need to call Trump. The Trump ones. Y'all going about it? The, um, oh, that's the, what we them all whites. We're going to talk about the Trump ones. Okay. On, on, we we, we will on. talk about the Trump ones on blackout. They're calling them out uh, the air treasons. Yep. <laughs> we will talk about. That boy got to pay that fine. Some air treasons. Let's let let's give him one topic that might be a blackout topic that we could talk about here. Single women own homes, own more homes than single men, and this is something that's been floating around the internet for a while. I saw like Keanu Watson posted, and and Matthew Garland he posted it, and all the real estate people posted it. Uh, single women um, are a higher home ownership rates mm -hmm. than single. Men, any ethnicity, any ethnicity, but it's even higher for black people. That's so. It, I mean, that is true for home ownership, college degree, a bunch of other things as well. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but ironically enough, I think not income. I still think I, that I love wages out black there. men actually earn more. Men across the board still own earn more money than women, um, even though women have higher degrees they are they're getting degrees at higher levels mm -hmm. their homeowners at higher levels variety of other things I think executive positions as well well every every like professional yeah. position yeah men men still are at much higher levels than than women uh okay so let's talk about the that situation um ladies don't let no man ask you what you bring to the table if you don't have no table of his own and uh don't own the house Y'all say I'm pandering, so I'm gonna turn up the pandering <laughs> shit on y'all this year, okay? Um, go ahead. Blackout the, oh, blackout time. Th those are Pre my thoughts. Preview. Preview. Yeah, those are my thoughts. Don't let no man ask you what you bring to the table, and you're on your house, Tyreek. I'm sorry. It is what it is. Clip this one up. I'm going for Derek Jackson. Don't care what Derek Jackson. So, um, listen, guys. I think that. I don't think that. That's the best way to go about it. That's the way I'm going about it. <laughs> what? Okay. When he asked you what you bring to the table, let me see the deed to the house, my boy. I don't. I don't think that's the best way to go about it. Word. 
Panda is pandering. Panda is pandering. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, so I think that um, it's an interesting situation. Are you taking a rational approach? For sure. I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a variety of different factors that go into why uh, women might be a higher home ownership. It's interesting. Um, a lot of times men may have more financial obligation. Absolutely. When you look at, you know, um, the child support system. Right. Finish. I want I want I got a question for you. When when you look at potentially having to provide for other people. A lot of that times, you know, uh, uh, women, you know, provide for other people as well. But the man might have, you know, um, other financial obligations. It's like the white out answer, though. Look, man, I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, that's man. not black. I ain't gonna let y'all do this. No, no, keep going. no, no. But I, I want to. No, I just want to interject really quickly because this might be a time. Did y'all see uh, Killer Mike's thoughts about child support? We're gonna talk about child support on, on Blackout. Okay, okay. I just want. All right, all right. We're gonna talk, we're gonna right, talk about idea. Okay. child support. Will be covered on Blackout. Gotcha. But I, I just feel that um, I feel like this is a, a dangerous conversation because it, 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 it's one of these conversations where it pins men against women. I agree. And um, I, don't do I don't think that that's the most productive thing to do. Um, I do feel that everybody should bring something to the table. Um, now, home ownership is good, but it's not the deciding factor. I've never dated somebody and asked them if they owned a home. That was never a deciding factor for me personally, yeah. right? If you got if you got a good career, if you uh, if you got ambition, if you don't What are the thing, qualities you are looking for? Well, the real question, like, oh, what, you good, boy. So like, <laughs> I'm gonna, this is for both of y'all. We should do this now, but I, I would be interested in like, well, what are the questions that are we, we are asking if, as we're dating? We should. We should add that. Well, to the we also well. live in an economy where it's becoming increasingly harder to become a homeowner. That's true. Very true. Even if you make a lot of money, it's still becoming it's increasing, 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 yeah. increasingly harder to become a homeowner. Um, and is home ownership even worth it at this point in time we had an argument about wall that. street journal put up put an article out that said that you know now it's actually more beneficial to be a renter yeah. than to be a homeowner or could that be propaganda for us to have home ownership or strive to it right if we just talked about the statistics yeah. about the appreciation over the past eight years going up 80 percent, and us not having homes and we don't participate in any of that question question for the chat question for the chat this is this is hoodie troy y'all question for the chat I'm about to get filthy. Would you rather have $1.5 million in cash and be renting an apartment? Or would you rather have a million dollar home and a half a million dollars in cash? Question for the chat. Question for the chat. Uh, <laughs> at what stage of life would be important? Yeah, I'm yeah, just saying, wherever wherever uh, anybody's wherever at in life, I'm yeah. want, I want to see what yeah. they. Are. Yeah, that's a good question. That's okay. Home and cash, home and cash option two, homeowner, renting an apartment. Easy, one point five, one point five, I'm seeing more here. It's it's it's, it's about it's about it's split. split. Yeah. I mean. It, what would you what what would you guys rather do? I'd I'd have the home and the half a million in cash. I get the one point five and, and get on get on my futures grind and turn that to five point something, five point eight, and then go get the home. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's why I said it really is situational. What, what's, what's yours? I'd rather have cash. I, one, one, thing, one thing I learned early on is that uh, shout out to Raekwon and uh, Wu-Tang, and they played a major development in my life. And um, one thing I, I, forgot, I learned early on and I'll never forget is um, cash rules everything around me. And um, 24 years later, cash still rules. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, things get hard. You never know. It's ups and downs in this mm -hmm. game. You might have to, you know, you might, you might have some, some downtime. Like things might, it might be a recession. Person with the money is always going to end up winning. Well, I, the home is paid for, or are we still paying for it? No, you're paying like a mortgage. Oh, that's what I'm saying. If I have 1.5 and things are hard, then that becomes an asset I can now sell. I could do 500. I could invest and I could, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could flip that. But I'm saying for me, right. It would be like, yo, I have what I have kids like yeah. I'm gonna you know what I mean and then you got property tax that's true you can write you can you can but you can write that you they, can, your, your apartment could be a write-off if it's in your business name but yeah. the the property tax thing is interesting because they changed the laws over I think maybe two or three years ago where you can only write off up to ten to twelve thousand of your property tax in the past it obviously you could do more but things have changed over the past few years with, with the tax code correct me if I'm wrong but I, I did read that I was looking into it uh does YouTube day. allow you to do a poll Yep. Like Instagram? You how you how you do a poll? Mike. Y'all said like Nikki 1.5. Give me the money. Mike, work Mike. <laughs> 1.5. Mike, work on work on that for next yeah. week. Please. But we need that for blackout, actually. Absolutely. Please. Um please figure that part out of it. Um, but you know, once again, it's interesting. Uh I think that um that's an interesting conversation. And also, where's the home? Because that determines how much it appreciate. Like, if the home's in Ohio, shot everybody in Ohio. My <laughs> thoughts may be different on if it's in New York, Houston, but, Atlanta. But then, but then it's like you know, here's the thing, right? Miami. I just saw this something on on the um, Wall Street Journal about the whole entire East Coast. New York's is sinking, right? You look at you look at like Miami, in fifty years. South Beach is not even going to be here anymore. No, nobody cares because they're just living for the moment. Yeah. But take that into consideration. Global warming is a real thing. And um, so what about, I just seen something in, in California where a $15 million home was about to fall into the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, yeah. The, yeah. What, what the hell is that? Yeah. Right. That's, so you buy a home. So you buy a home yeah. and then now you can't even get flood insurance. You can't get flood insurance in Florida. You can't get fire insurance in California. Yep, you can't even. So you can't get fire insurance in California where they have fires all the time. So now you buy a home and then your house burns down, then you're screwed. That's why it's important where you buy a home. Any, but I'm just saying, if you buy a home in New York, New York might not be New York in, but, in 50 years. But that's what I said. There's determining factors, right? If I got that 1.5 home, uh, $1.5 million home and it appraised at 3.5, like there's there's certain determinant no, factors that right we now, like if, right, you right buy, now. if you buy a home, if you buy a home, one point five million dollar home right now, it's yeah. not going to be worth three point five million tomorrow. It's not I'm not saying we don't know. There's determinant factors. If it was worth two million, if it's worth two point five million, you, worth, let's not complicate this. You yeah, buy a we home, don't know. You buy. I'm telling you, you do know. You buy a home worth one. You buy a home for one point five million and it's worth one point five million because you brought it for one point five million. No. Here's a perfect example, right? Somebody buys a home that's in foreclosure. We even I'm spoke saying, about, I'm, I'm just, I'm, no, let me finish. Using, let me finish. No, no, you're using outliers. I'm just, that's I'm why just I said saying, it, it, there just, are determining I'm, no, I'm just factors. Saying, look, we're, we're making it an easy conversation to have. We're not using outliers. We're saying if you buy a home, if the home is worth 1.5 million 
and you have $500,000 in cash. Or if you're renting an apartment and you have 1.5 million in cash, let's not. But that's why I'm saying yeah. even in the purchasing of a home, there are factors. So if I have the home that's 1.5 million, how much did it appraise for it? Because there could have been equity that had been there already. Right, that all oh you said was one point five. Oh my god! Oh my god! Real estate is a complicated. Ladies and gentlemen, the blackout hour. Oh real, real estate is a complicated process. Oh. Blackout, blackout 1. hour. 5. Blackout hour. Put half of it into tech. Trade the other half. Come out with four point five. Or, or just find you somebody that's going to. Two simps, two simps. Two simps, two simmies. That's the other place. The simp economy went crazy. And start getting them to put in like five to 10 grand a month. And until you... <laughs> y'all be talking. They get to talking to my comment like, yo, he, I'm rich. I don't need the panda. <laughs> and we gonna act like I ain't going on 11 vacation with a Colombiana either. What is we talking about? I was him before I got it. What the fuck is we talking about? And we get demonetized. I'll pay the monetization. What is we talking about? Yo, he can't afford to go. Well, I went on 11 on accident. Come on, man. Tune in every Wednesday. These are just jokes. <laughs> I will not be a parent. Uh, I have a hood. Don't play with me. Um, thank you. Thank you to the Department of Justice. Yes. Thank you to the chat. <laughs> they the good folks at the Department of Justice. Um, Tune in you. tomorrow. Thank tomorrow you, morning. Sarah. We'll be on, y'all. Market Mondays. Yes, a GMA appearance. Congratulations, fellas. That's that's pretty. That's pretty surreal. That's pretty dope. Yes. Good morning, America, ladies and gentlemen. We will be wearing uh, suits. Yes. Um, and to all of our parents, I'll be acting <laughs> like in the morning. I promise you, I won't. I'll be back to 2020. Prim and proper. C V O O V T I. Two index, two tech. Okay. Now they say that I'm off the chain. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. It's Shadi's fault, and I'm leaving. All right, man. Um, check out Market Mondays tomorrow. Check out Earn Your Leisure tomorrow. Great episode at one o'clock. Check out Blackout yep. on Wednesday. Great episode at 10 o'clock. And check us out on Good Morning America, 825 tomorrow. Eastern Standard Time, right. AM tomorrow. A uh, Red Panda weekend is Saturday in Houston. I saw that. I saw Red, yeah. Red Panda Rebellion. So yes. go it, time. Uh, happy birthday to our brother Spanks. Spanks, happy birthday, my brother. Uh, I believe tomorrow is his birthday. And this weekend kicks off Pisces season. So shout out to all the Pisces. We will be going way up. Love, 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 love. Pisces season's in way the up. building, man. We, we, we out here. We out here. See y'all for my birthday. Prince and Minx, New York hey. City. Invite only vibes. Strict dress code enforced. So we got to wear Prince and Minx? No, no, or Prince or. 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 Okay, and you. or. And got or. Got you. Okay. So okay. either animal print. Or for, but if you want to, you could, you could, you, you could wear both. That's okay. Gotcha. But animal and sneakers don't count. So if your only thing is sneakers, you're probably not going to get it. Unless you're, you're a girl, you might be able to pull some, some, some pumps, some high heel leopard pumps. If you got the black outfit, that might be a vibe. But if you're a guy, don't try to come with some Travis Scott's with the alligator on nah, the don't bottom. Do don't, don't knock my sneaker heads. Man. On some like hidden alligator. No gators in the swoosh. No, they got Maury's on. They good? Nah, pants or shirt. Pants or shirt. Maury's ain't good. No, no, no. Pants Damn. or shirt. Pants or shirt. Either wow. pants or shirt. Man. Surprise, we went there. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, that's it, man. We out. Love is love.
Uh, be good to each other. Be good to each other. Peace. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.